0: The Lord that everybody will see God saying, I will do this wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke, the sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And as I was teaching through that, I, I showed imagery from the book of Revelation is probably imagery of some of the miracles of Egypt, but more likely even just of the cosmic battles that God is going to allow to be fought that are prophesied in the book of Revelation that even are prophesied elsewhere in the New Testament. The sun being turned into darkness, the moon into blood. Jesus talked about that. Matthew 24, verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give us light. Verse 30, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Son of Man coming on the clouds, on and on it goes. So it seems that Joel is pointing to those future events and saying, look, when this happens, you'll know that Israel's deliverance is here. The Spirit will be poured out and people will be prophesying in visions and dreams. And there'll be wonders in the sky. There'll be miracles happening all around And those precede the great and awesome day of the Lord. And as we've talked about, the day of the Lord in the book of Joel is talking about judgment. For God's elect, it's a day of safety. But for the enemies of God, it's when all the accounts are settled. And verse 32 makes clear that salvation will be for His people. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. They'll be safe in Jerusalem and Israel The Lord has called His elect, His survivors. They'll be okay even in the midst of all of that. So from the perspective of Joel, I think it's not hard or at least it's understandable what's occurring. The problem is that Peter quoted these words. And if you remember, and I never intended there to be a month gap between all of this. It's just the nature of me getting sick and then my mom getting sick. Life intervenes. But as I introduced this, I said, Peter did use these words. What did he mean? Pentecostals say that all of this is happening now. That's why they dream their dreams, that's why they have visions. Let me say, some Pentecostals. It's hard to put a finger on Pentecostals because they're in a variety of ways. But it's not hard to find. Some of them point to this and say, I had a dream, I had a vision. In fact, that's why the question ever came up is because in in Debbie's sphere of circles, not from somebody at Lakeside that I know of, but in her sphere of circles, somebody was claiming, I had a dream. I know it's a dream from God because Peter said, it's going to happen. This is what's going on. So the question I introduced a long time ago, should we as God's children be prophesying? Should we be dreaming dreams? Should we be having visions? Are we missing something? At Lakeside, we teach that the Bible is done. That's all we need. We don't need new revelation from God. He's already given us all we need. Are we wrong? So today's the day when I'm going to wade into all this. And I have to tell you that as I start walking through these things, I approach this with fear and trembling, so to speak, because this stretches my mind. I've thought about things as I've studied and as I've studied that I never thought about before. Which is kind of crazy to me, because it's like, why didn't I think of it? It's in the Bible. And I will say that my theology doesn't change, and I've not suddenly had a revelation that I was wrong and I'm going to resign and go to a Pentecostal church. That's not it at all. Don't, don't, (laughs) Don't misunderstand where I'm headed. But I realize if people ask me, certain questions, I would have given an answer very quickly and emphatically. And yet, in some respects, my answer contradicted other parts of Scripture that I know and I just wasn't thinking of. So, I'm going to wade into this. But I want to tell you that what I'm saying, I hold parts of it loosely. Because I'm forced to think of things that I hadn't really thought about. So as we walk through this, I'm going to try and be methodical, but even in my notes, I was exasperated with my inability to be comfortable with how I was articulating things. So I'm going to just start walking and trust the Lord to guide me and trust you because you're friendly with me, not to throw things at me until I'm done. So let me start with this. We believe and teach at Lakeside and your elders strongly Believe this, that the Bible is sufficient and that the canon of Scripture is closed and that God is not giving new revelation to the church today. Nothing changes. I believed that before I started studying Joel. I believe that now. The Bible over and over attests to the fact that if you have the Scriptures and you're a genuine believer indwelt by the Spirit of God, you don't need anything else. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. In other words, God has given us His Word, and it is everything we need. He didn't grant to us a lot of things pertaining to life and godliness, everything. And it's through His promises, it's through His Word. So I will never waver from my conviction that if you were born again, the Bible is all you need to live your life, period. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, very familiar verses. A lot of people memorize them, I memorize them. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There's an aspect where certainly that's an exhortation to a pastor, but also to anyone. If God has called you to do something, He will equip you to do it from His Word, period. Those aren't the only passages, but those are suffice. To say that if you have the Word of God, you've got all you need and you shouldn't look elsewhere. And if you hear somebody saying, Well, God told me, why? You got the Word of God, He's already told you. In fact, we believe and we teach that there is no new Scripture. Again, if you study this theologically, people can point all over the map and a lot of different things, but for me, I've always been content with the words of the book of Revelation, the last book of the New Testament that was written. And chapter 22, verse 18, says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. The prophecies of this book show human cataclysmic events on an astronomical scale. Billions of people dying and getting killed and torment and misery. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. That's as scary as anything I could ever read. And same thing, if you take away from them... you're condemned to hell. I don't know of any more emphatic declaration that God has put in Scripture that tells us He's told us all we need to know about the future period. Are there things that I wonder about? I do. We had a... Yesterday was... um, Debbie's mom turned 80 on Thursday. Debbie went to Perry for that. But then yesterday... um, all my kids and their husbands, and then Christine and I, we all went to Perry yesterday for the party, and on the ride home, it was me and Debbie and Christine. We talked two plus hours. Christine just peppering me with questions on the book of Revelation. There's a lot of things I told her. Don't know. I, I can tell you what's here. God hadn't told me any more than that. And it was a it was a great time. It kept me awake, so he didn't kill us driving home, but... I loved having those conversations because she was thinking. She was asking really good questions. But more than once, I had to say, I can't go beyond what the Scriptures say. I could speculate, but that's not even profitable. We're supposed to think on what's true, not what we hope, wish, all those things. So I firmly believe, and it's not just me, it's our elders. We stake our ministry on the fact that the Word of God is the entirety of God's revelation to man. I'm not talking about natural revelation, I'm talking about specific revelation of Him giving words to us that we're supposed to live by. And one of the greatest threats to the church, from my estimation, and I believe it from the Scripture, is that we always want something more than what God said. You go back to the original temptation of Eve, and the original temptation of Eve had to do with the Word of God. And didn't God leave something out, Eve? It shouldn't have added something else there. He's holding back on you. Satan wants to get us away from the Word of God, and the Bible is very clear. As time goes on, this will happen more and more. In 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, in other words, just the pure milk of the Word, truths of Scripture, but wanting to have their ears tickled, meaning they want to hear what they want to hear, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. The greatest deception Satan has unleashed on the evangelical church is even evangelicals are saying, well, the Bible's good as far as it goes. But life's a lot bigger than the Bible. Yeah, it it covers those areas over here, but boy, look at all the rest of things. It's a lie. The Bible covers everything you need for life and godliness, and there is nothing besides life and godliness, period. A church one time, before I was hired at Lakeside, peppered me with questions because I would not deviate from that viewpoint. They wanted me to embrace some extra-biblical truths, and my, I wrote them a response and I ultimately withdrew my name from that church. But I said then and I believe now even after all my studies for every issue of sin or sanctification in the believer's life and by the way, that's everything. <laughs> if you're breathing, that's it. Sin and sanctification. The Bible is sufficient. Yet church after church is turning away to anything else. They want to have their ears tickled. I was talking to Christine about something that I've used as an illustration in the pulpit, and I don't want to offend anybody, but some book written by the father of a little boy, Heaven is for Real, and people flocking to the movie and flocking to the book, and I pull my hair out. I know Heaven is real, and I don't need a nine-year-old boy that had some kind of weird thing. Tell me that. That isn't strength in my face. The Bible's already told me. And by the way, I don't believe the story. Not that the little boy didn't experience something, but I don't believe it was true. Visions of what heaven's like, that, that, that's nothing. But the point is, today, people want the visions and dreams because the Bible's boring. They want something new, they want something exciting, they want something that, oh yeah! Because we've had that book forever and it just eh, didn't work. It opens the door for error and deception when you decide, well, God didn't give me quite enough. What, you got a word? Oh, tell me what that was. Oh, you got a word? And I'm sorry, if God says something, it's on par with Scripture. If God speaks, it's no less authoritative because it became in a dream or a vision than if it's written in Scripture. So, in our culture, this is a serious, serious issue. I think we're ripe and experiencing 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. A lot of the teachers they gather together to tickle ears are emissaries of the devil. Deceiving people. So the issue raised is paramount. Do we need more revelation from God? Is that what Peter was saying? Now, I want to read, if you've got your Bible or a tablet or whatever, turn to Acts. It's Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. And we need to remember the context. People are gathered in Jerusalem, and the Spirit fell, and people began to speak in tongues. And it was miraculous, because people are hearing things... In their own ears their own language but they know the people speaking them don't know their language it is truly miraculous it is truly something unprecedented it is truly something that no one at that time had experienced so when you have something that you've never experienced the human nature is we got to explain it there's got to be some rational explanation I mean, a noise from heaven like a violent rushing wind and tongues of fire and all those things. And then the people come out and they're speaking and everybody hears it. All these languages from Galileans. And I said verse 15, but in 12 it says, And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? You can imagine. It's crazy. And some people had an explanation, Well, they're just drunk. Drunk people say stupid things. And that's where Peter stepped in. And that's where Joel's words come in. He got their attention, verse 15. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day, meaning it's too early in the morning. Nobody drinks that much. Now, nowadays you can't say that. But at that time, (laughs) at that time, that was a legitimate response. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, verse 16. Verse 17, and it should be in the last days, God says, and then he goes through all of these things. And while he was quoting from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's basically, we can see this lines up with what Joel was said. So the question is, is Joel, is Peter saying, look, what Joel promised just happened. You're there. Congratulations. This is it. Or is he saying something else? Because if he's saying, this happened, this is it, then these things are part of the life of the church. They should be ongoing. But I don't think that's what Peter was saying. First, it's important to look at the fact that Peter didn't just quote the dreams, visions part. He quoted all of it. About the wonders in the sky, and the sun turned into darkness, and the moon into blood. None of that happened yet. It didn't. It's not recorded in Scripture. That's not what happened. So I don't believe in any sense Peter was saying all that Joel was talking about happened. But I do think he's doing a couple of things and it all goes back to the context of people saying what's the explanation for this amazing thing where people are talking in tongues? I think first, Peter was explaining something about what they were hearing. Remember, he's talking to Jewish people. The people in Jerusalem were Jews gathered from everywhere. If we recall correctly in our biblical knowledge, it wasn't even until Acts chapter 10, when Peter was shown in a dream, you go to the household of Cornelius, nobody even understood that Gentiles were going to be saved. They had no idea. So these were Jewish people dealing with Jewish things and Peter was talking to Jewish people. And he was explaining that they should not have been as shocked as they were about what was going on. And he was providing a context for it. Now, a couple of things are key to what Peter is saying. He says, it shall be in the last days. This is a slight variation. doesn't mean he's changing Scripture. It's a slight variation because of translations of how Joel phrased it. But there's a sense in which Peter is making it clear. The last days have begun. The last days... I'm just going to have to... just having to summarize it. The last days began when Jesus came the first time. And the last days will end when Jesus comes a second time at His second coming. So in this flow of biblical history, the last days have been going on now for 2,000 some odd years. So Peter in one sense is saying we are in the last days. But again, it's not just Peter. So for example, in Hebrews chapter 1, I heard somebody teach on that book once. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us through His Son. The Apostle John in 1 John said, Children, it is the last hour. He talks about the last hour. And there are other references like this. So there is an aspect where Peter was making clear to all who heard him, the last days have begun. But I think in another sense, he was just providing an illustration for the fact that people were amazed that the Spirit of God was poured out and that people were speaking in tongues. Now it seems clear from the book of Acts there was some ongoing prophecy. So for example, in Acts 11:27. Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and there are a few other references like that. But the book of Acts doesn't record anything on the scope of Joel's words where all of these people are having visions and dreams. It's just not recorded there, where all of these people are having prophecies. Joel seems to be referring to revelations and visions and dreams that we don't see recorded in the book of Acts. He's talking about a time of more dreams and visions by more people. And that's what Pentecostals want to believe, because they want everybody doing this. So here is what I think Peter was saying. Peter was using the prophecy of Joel as an illustration of something. He wasn't declaring that these words have been fulfilled today. People much smarter than me with more degrees behind their names have pointed out that when the Bible, the New Testament, talks about a prophecy being fulfilled. There's very definite language. For example, Matthew 2:17. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. No question. Matthew 27:9. Then that which was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Luke 4.21, Jesus, and He began to say to them, Today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Peter doesn't use that language. But he does say, this is what was spoken of. So because I don't believe Peter is saying, this is being fully fulfilled right now, I don't believe Peter was saying that all of the New Testament era, all the church era, everybody should be having prophecies, dreams, and all those things. I've already reiterated, I don't believe we need any more revelation from God. So I don't believe that God is giving new revelation today in this period of redemptive history in the age of the church through dreams and visions and prophecies. And when I hear someone say, God told me through a vision or a dream, I don't normally argue with them, but I ignore it. Because God told me through His Word, all I need. I don't need to listen to whatever it is that happened to you. Because I don't know if you had a bad dinner. Or your glass of wine didn't sit well with your stomach. I don't know. And I'm not trying to mock people because I know sincere people that I think are sincerely wrong. They're trying to make sense out of things that they don't really need to make sense out of. And they're confused because they hear people teaching, look, it's right here, look at Acts. I don't believe that's occurring today. And I don't believe Peter is saying otherwise. The scriptures are complete, there's nothing new. We have all we need. But this is where my mind begins to be stretched. And where I overlook something that that I knew was there, but I didn't think about it. We live in the age of the church. But we believe and we teach that there is going to come a day when the church will be taken out of here. We refer to it as the rapture. We believe that the entire church, meaning all believers who are on the earth at that moment, will be removed and caught up with Jesus. First Thessalonians 4, 16, 17 For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. There's going to come a time when all believers are removed from the earth And I can't even comprehend what the earth will look like when there's no restraining influence of the Holy Spirit. Because the church isn't doing much of a good job right now restraining evil that's rampant. But could you imagine when there is no voice? There is no Pastor Steve to preach. There is no missionary to preach. There is no neighbor who knows Christ to come alongside the neighbor and pray for them and care for them. And we believe from Scripture that when that occurs, it introduces a period of seven years on the earth that will be hell on earth. Where God begins to pour out His judgment upon sin. And things during the tribulation period will be different than they are today. And because God has removed... His bride from the earth, God will be interacting with the world in a unique way. Because you could imagine there's no believers left, and yet the gospel still needs to be proclaimed. The hope for the people during the tribulation period is the same hope as the people today, which is Jesus and Him only. And this begins to stretch your mind. The Bible doesn't reveal everything, but it's clear God is going to work supernaturally to save some people. They'll still be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. But I don't know exactly what that will look like. What I do know is He's going to save 144,000 of His chosen people of the Jews. 12,000 from each tribe. It's in Revelation 7.4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed... 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons in Israel, and then it lists them. I've got an unbelieving Jewish friend. He's my best friend. I've witnessed to him for years, and he always says, can I be one of the 144,000? I'm like, Dave, don't bank on that. But think about it. There's nobody to evangelize, but I believe when God supernaturally saves... These 144,000, they'll be part of the witness on the earth that begins to spread the gospel. And some people are going to repent and believe. If you go further down, in Revelation chapter 7, it becomes clear. In fact, I think within the midst of this is when all Israel will be saved, meaning all remaining Jewish people that is talked about in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 to 27, specifically verse 26. And so, all Israel will be saved. So bear with me. The church is gone. But then God supernaturally intervenes to save 144,000 of His chosen people. Christine was asking me last night the questions about the 12 tribes. I said, the people won't even know what tribe they're from because they don't know anymore. But God knows. He hadn't forgotten. He knows what tribe Pastor Steve's from. He knows what tribe Norm Rosenberg's from. He knows all of that. So then, they're going to be spreading the gospel. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 14 makes it clear a lot of people are going to come to faith. Verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Then it goes on to say what they're doing. Then verse 13, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Those who are clothed in the white robes, Who are they and where have they come from? Said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So God is going to be doing something that is truly supernatural during the great tribulation. He's going to start with no witness and suddenly the gospel is going to explode. Yet at the same time as you read the history of Revelation, people are dying on unprecedented scales. There's cataclysmic wars Jesus talked about wars and rumors of wars. We're watching the news now. Russia invading Ukraine is nothing compared to what's pictured in the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation peels back the curtain and shows you the spiritual side of it. These aren't just geopolitical crises. This is God at work unleashing wrath and judgment at the same time Satan doing everything he can to destroy and pillage and plunder. And during this unique period of redemptive history called the great tribulation there are going to be miracles occurring there're going to be false miracles and there're going to be true miracles and this is where i wasn't careful this is where i was careless with my phraseology because if you had asked me before i started studying is there ever going to be more prophecy i would have said of course not and then you come to revelation chapter 11 verse 3 and i will grant authority to my two witnesses And they will prophesy for 1260 days. clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. Verse 6, they have the power to shut up the sky so that the rain will not fall during the days where they're prophesying. And they have powers over the water to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. Here's my point. God has already told us that during the tribulation period, He's going to be doing things that are very different than what we experience today. Because I believe of the unique nature of that time period where all of human history is coming together and it's truly the last of the last days right before the Lord returns and all of human history and all of redemptive history and all of spiritual history is coming together. And there's going to be unique things happening then. That's where my thinking was incomplete. I'm convinced that God has made it clear that as us living today in the age of the church, we have all we need The Bible is sufficient, but God has already told us once the church is gone, things are going to look different. I'm going to be acting differently. Things are going to be different. And as I look at what those witnesses are doing, they're prophesying. It became clear to me, I wasn't thinking it through clearly, they're not adding to the prophecies of the book. What they're doing is the prophecies of the book, they're a part of the prophecies of the book. And I think that's where Joel fits in. That they're not adding to the prophecies of the book of Revelation. I think in that period of redemptive history, the dreams and the visions are going to fall into the same realm as the prophecies of these two witnesses. God is going to be unique, doing unique things that He's told us about and they're all going to fit into that window. So at risk of being punished at our next elders meeting on Thursday when Rig, who is our elder chairman, reflects on things. I don't think that what Joel talked about and what Peter alluded to has occurred yet. I think it will only occur during the period of the Great Tribulation when all Israel will be saved and all these things are happening. And I don't believe those dreams and prophecies and visions are adding to the book of Revelation. I think they're already incorporated and a part of what God has said is going to be a unique period of history. And those are going to be crazy days. Satan will be unleashed. His Antichrist will be active. Revelation 13 makes it clear the whole world is going to worship the beast. As I was explaining to Christine, you're going to have a period where everybody is panicked because the world is coming unglued. People are dying. People are suffering. We're all right now because we say what happens if it spreads between Russia and Ukraine but that will be truly cataclysmic global catastrophe nobody will be talking about global warming in the sense of fluorocarbons they'll be talking about global warming God's about to burn up the whole place and what when I asked this to my 14 year old daughter I said when the world is absolutely panicked and destitute and countries are fighting all over the place what will they want more than anything else no they'll want peace And that's what Antichrist promises. Worship me and I'll take care of all this. Now, you're right in one sense, Debbie, because that's why so many people will be saved. How God's going to do it, I don't know. The 144,000, that's why there's going to be a multitude that you can't count. Yes, there will be people crying out for Jesus, but there's going to be more of the world just want it to stop. And that's where the Antichrist comes in and says, I got this covered. I'll make peace in Israel. I'll rebuild the temple. It's all going to be good. I'll make peace. Everybody will get rich. And then he turns on them. But Revelation 13, 3, and I saw one of the heads as if it had been slain and the fatal wound was healed. It sounds like somebody tried to kill an assassination and supernaturally Satan overruled it. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast and they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? So all of this is happening at the same time. I'm running out of time here, but if you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-12, to 12, it talks about the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. And so I believe because God is allowing Satan to operate in a supernatural way beyond anything he's ever seen, doing signs and wonders to deceive people, God is going to respond with his own supernatural signs and wonders in a unique period of history where these prophecies and visions and dreams and wonders come about. So, let me bring it to a close and I hope I haven't confused the entire world. But I don't believe today We need visions and dreams and prophecies. But whether I believe we need them is secondary, I believe the Bible teaches that they aren't happening. Because we have all we need in the Scriptures. But I also believe that we can't fully comprehend what's going to be happening in the Great Tribulation. God's revealed some of it. But in that unique period, which is different than anything we can comprehend, and if you think you can comprehend it, just start reading Revelation again. Then go over to Daniel, read some in Daniel. It stretches your mind. And I think it's in that unique period when God is gathering His people and His elect. At that time, Israel will never be touched again. They'll be preserved by God. They'll never be put to shame. And it's at that time when all these events are coming together where the words of Joel will be fulfilled. Please join me as I close our time in prayer. Lord, you know the struggle of my heart with all of this. Lord, I think I understand it, but I understand also my limitations. Lord, I would die for the truth of the gospel. This I'm doing my best to understand and explain, but it's hard. So, Lord, I pray you'll continue to give me understanding. If my words are even close to the truth, Lord, I pray you would impress them upon the hearts of your people. But by the same token, Lord, if, if I have gotten off track, if I've missed something, then let my words be forgotten. But Lord, I thank you for the fact that you've given us a promise that as your people, one day we'll be with you. Even now, Lord, living in our days, It's hard. I do pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. I, I pray for brothers and sisters in Christ we have that might be in the Russian army right now being commanded by a reckless leader to kill people that shouldn't be killed. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are struggling, not just in Ukraine and Russia, but every, everywhere else where the gospel is hated. And Lord, I thank you that in these dark times when we not only have all of these external influences and Satan trying to destroy us, but we have the wickedness of our own residual flesh that we trip over our own shoelaces in our pursuit of holiness. Lord, I thank you in all of this that you've given us all we need. You've given us your spirit and you've given us your word. It's all that we need for life and godliness. Lord, we can be equipped for every good work and we don't need visions and dreams and prophecies because you've already put them in a book for us called the Bible. But Lord, looking ahead, we can't imagine how horrific the great tribulation period will be when you remove the church from this earth and sin is unleashed. Lord, we thank you that brothers and sisters... We will have brothers and sisters in Christ coming out of the great tribulation, but Lord, when we look at the fact that it's a great multitude and so many are being martyred, we know that it's going to be a horrific time. And during those horrific times in your own ways and ways that we can't even fully comprehend, we thank you that the gospel will still be proclaimed and before Jesus' return, people will be drawn to the Savior. So for now, Lord, on the things that confuse us, help us not dwell on them. Lord, help us focus on Jesus. Help us fix our eyes on Jesus. And Lord, for the things we don't fully understand, give us greater wisdom. But above all, let us take what we do know and be holy as you are holy. Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.